Okay, well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Cambridge Science Festival. Um, put your hands up if this is the first visit you've done to the festival in the last week. And who's been to other things in the festival so far? Oh, amazing. <laughs> okay, so have you enjoyed it so far? <coughs> Excellent. So thank you very much for coming down today. We're um, pretty much at the halfway point of the festival, but there is still a whole week ahead of us, so do look out for more events that you might want to come along to. This morning, we've got um, Matt Wilkinson, who is a zoologist here in Cambridge, um, and he is here to talk about how the brain began and um, how it has evolved over time. Uh, he released a book last year, so do look out for that as well, and uh, hopefully this will inspire you to get a copy. Um, so. Thank you very much for coming, and Matt Wilkinson. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming in uh, this morning. It's uh, no, no, Sunday morning. It's always a real pleasure to see uh, so many people coming. I'm really pleased and very grateful to you all. Yes, yeah, so this morning, we're going to talk about what is arguably the most remarkable object in the known universe, the human brain. Uh, just under one and a half kilos, uh, a collection of some 86 billion nerve cells at the latest estimate with a whole range of supportive cells as well. And of course, you all have one. Uh, you all have this most remarkable object. In fact, in a sense, well, I hope you do, um, otherwise you're not going to understand the talk very well. Um, in a sense, you all are this. You know, this it, the process is going on in this little chunk of flesh. Um, they account for all your thoughts, all your feelings, your experiences, your memories, your sensations. Everything you are really mentally is, is tied up in this. What an extraordinary thing. And of course, the, 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 the perhaps even more magnificent thing about it is that we, no, nothing, no one has constructed this thing. In fact, no, we're trying. Uh, we're trying to build artificial intelligence to match the human brain. It's not got anywhere close yet um, because this did, thing did not get constructed. It evolved gradually, over hundreds of millions of years, um, to produce the object that we have now. What an extraordinary uh, thing to, to happen. And so today, we're going to shine a light on that process to try and understand, indeed, how the brain uh, began. But before we do that, I'm just going to yeah, take my brain to pieces first, which will make things easier uh, later. Uh, first thing, we need to have a bit of a clearer idea about what exactly uh, the brain does. I know you all go, well, I have a pretty good idea what's going on, and it's, you know, it, it's what's, we're thinking about things, that's kind of what the brain does. But there's an awful lot more to what the brain has to do than just thinking about stuff. So uh, what I'm going to do is just, uh, I recorded this um, last weekend with my super subtle top secret spy glasses um, to see, uh, just a kind of, just a common walk through town, as you, as you might notice, slight difference in the hair. So I was going to get my hair cut. Um, so I filmed that journey from my point of view um, to see, and I was going to think about what my brain was having to do uh, through all this. So if I just and get this started. Okay, there we go. All right, so there I'm ready. And already, already, before we've even really started, there's all sorts of stuff uh, that has to be going on because I've made a plan. I know what I'm doing, I, I know why I want to do it, I want to go and get my hair cut. Uh, that involves a lot of activity in this front part of the brain. This is called the prefrontal cortex, uh, which is involved in planning and attention and motivation. So already lots of stuff going on there. Um, and what happens now? Well, now I'm dealing with the door. And that, again, is an absolutely extraordinary thing to have to do. What a really sort of fiddly thing, particularly with that door. It's, um, <laughs> A little bit stiff, takes kind of you know, two hands to do it. Um, it's a very complex set of motor commands that I'm having to use uh, to execute uh, that command, to open that door. Uh, and it involves all sorts of areas of the brain. Um, I had to learn how to do that. Um, I like to think it didn't take me very long to learn how to do that. Uh, that would involve uh, this area of the brain here, which is the primary motor cortex, which is where we learn to do complex motor tasks. Um, eventually, um, I didn't have to think about it anymore, and it all became just a kind of matter of habit. That involved transferring those instructions from up here uh, down to what are called the basal ganglia, which is a wonderful name, so deep in the brain. Um, and then to execute those commands, the, you know, both of those areas will be involved. 
and then in commanding my muscles to carry out those orders, that will involve this structure here called the cerebellum, which helps to fine-tune uh, these complex motor movements. So I've, I'm not out the door, and already all sorts of extraordinary things are going on. Um, and what happens now? Well, of course, don't want to get locked out, so I have to check whether I have my keys, uh, which I do, of course. Oops. Oh, I knew that would happen. Um, I really hope that doesn't happen too much, otherwise this is going to take forever. Um, there we go. So just bear with me. Open the door. And check whether I've got my keys. Yeah, and um, uh, fortunately I did, so I could get in again. And of course, what, the, what I just did, I had to put my hand in my pocket, and the tiniest touch of my fingers against the metallic edge of my keys was enough to tell me that I did and I wouldn't lock myself out. Again, amazing. How do I recognize my keys? Just from a tiny little finger touch. Again, all sorts of mental things going on there. Um, I'm going to be on the safe side now, unfortunately. Uh, then, of course, we set off. Um, and immediately I'm faced with a decision. Which way do I go? Um, in order to carry that out, there's a map in my brain. Um, I don't have to kind of follow Google Maps or anything. I can just use... Uh, the information that's already been embedded in my brain. So I've made this map thanks to a structure called the hippocampus, named after a seahorse, because that's kind of what it looks like. It's a, it's a small little strip of tissue embedded quite deep in the brain there, and that's how we lay down spatial memories. Um, so I've got all this sort of plan, so I know which way I'm going. I don't have to kind of think about it. Um, you would have also noticed I've sped up the film, obviously, because otherwise it's going to take too long, um, that the, the, things are sort of swinging around wildly. Of course, that's because... Uh, as I'm walking, uh, I'm looking around. And it's very disorienting if you're looking at it on the screen. But then if you think about it, why, why isn't it disorienting for us now? I mean, the, 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 my visual field, as it's called, is, <laughs> uh, is, is swinging around wildly, but it doesn't feel like it. Um, that takes a very complicated sequence of mental events in the brain to kind of sort all that out. Essentially, what's happening is that every time I make any sort of movement which is going to cause the world to appear to swing around me, my brain is informing my senses that that's going to happen. So it kind of cancels all that stuff out. And it's happening all the time. Um, also, what's happening is, of course, I mean, this is just a, a, a film, of course, but even when I'm, you know, when I'm walking around now, what I'm seeing now is not really, you know, my eyes are not windows onto the world. No, what's, everything I see now has been constructed by my brain, and that involves the visual cortex, which is back here. It's, it's kind of giving me something of a sort of film scene of, of what I'm seeing. So again, all this sort of stuff is happening. Um, let's keep going, so just walking down uh, Milton Road as it happens. Uh, let's see, I've just sort of sped this up, blah, 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 blah. Crossing roads doing all sorts of rather dangerous things, and there we go, moving on to Chesterton High, uh, Chesterton Road. Um, just a, a little minor thing to notice here is that, um, it's one of these interesting things, is that um, uh, just by doing this, <laughs> um, just by kind of walking around and kind of knowing that I'm filming and knowing that I'm going to be talking about this, I, I was paying a lot more attention to my surroundings than I normally did, and so I noticed that that shop had changed its name, um, which uh, I completely hadn't noticed before. And then I started thinking, oh, this is interesting. Just by kind of thinking about the process of observing, I'm actually becoming more observant. It's like I'm thinking about the process of thinking. That's called metacognition. It's a very, very advanced uh, thing to do. Uh, not many animals can do this. Uh, then a significantly more dangerous thing. I'm going to say, oh, no danger. The road is coming. I mustn't. If I keep going, I'm going to get killed. Um, of course, I know what to do. I press the button. I wait for the green man, and then I know it's safe to cross. Um, again, a very, very complex uh, sort of set of memories that are informing me what to do under those circumstances, and my life depends on it. Um, so let us carry on. So now walking down Chesterton Road again, there's a lovely river cam. Shame the weather wasn't better, but never mind. Um, something's about to come up on the uh, left-hand side here. There it is. Cambridge Science Festival poster. Very nice to see. Uh, of course, what it did is it reminded me that I had to write my talk because it was in a week. Um, once again, and th again, this is a very, very advanced thing to do. Um, not just the writing of the talk bit, but just being able to think yourself into the future like that. I'm kind of mentally time traveling, um, imagining a future. Well, essentially two alternative futures. One where I've managed to write the talk and one where I haven't, which would be awful. Um, and yeah, so suddenly a bit of anxiety kicks in. Um, <laughs> didn't last very long then, crossing the river, of course. 
uh, and heading on to Jesus Green. Um, and then I, again, uh, being more observant than usual, I noticed some interesting things going on in the sky. Um, there, there's a whole bunch of wheeling seagulls for some reason. Um, and of course, you know, being a zoologist, I'm going to wonder what that's about. I didn't think very much about it. I don't know what they were doing. Um, but again, I mean, this, and this curiosity, again, that's the, the, this, this awareness of our surroundings and thinking about what's going on. That's also a really important mental activity. Um, it's how we learn more about our world is by being curious about it. This violated my expectations. Um, and that's a very important mental process, again, involving the basal ganglia down here and the release of a substance called dopamine, which gives you a little thrill whenever you encounter something that you weren't necessarily expecting. It's how we learn more about our world. Um, so then that happened. Um, and of course, so I'm going to carry on uh, walking down uh, Jesus Green. Um, obviously, doing this, it is exercise. I, my metabolic rate is a little bit higher than it might um, otherwise uh, normally be. Um, this is going to require a bit of input from the brain as well because um, my heart rate is going to have to go up to support the increased exercise. And that's going to involve this little bit called the hypothalamus, um, which detects that uh, the oxygen supply needs to, to kind of gear up a little bit. Um, so it communicates to the brain stem to increase my heart rate uh, just the right amount so that um, I have all the energy I need uh, to uh, undertake this grueling exercise of walking through town. Um, and then I noticed something else, yeah, a little hole in the wall. I've got a complete spider fixation, so that's bound to be the sort of thing I'm going to uh, look at. So then, uh, carrying on. Um, so we're getting very close to the center of town now. Um, <laughs> something very interesting is going to happen now. Um, in, oh, look at the, oh, dear, 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 we have a cyclist on the pavement. <laughs> and then, of course, all sorts of things are firing up. I'm enraged. How dare she cycle on the pavement? These are rules that we, our society, have to follow. Um, so <laughs> again, there's a lot of brain activity. I mean, this is very, very advanced stuff. The social brain. There's a leading theory that the reason we have such a huge brain is largely because of social reasons. And this is exactly going to fire that up. People who should be following the rules who aren't. And all, yeah. Um, I got over it fairly quickly. I can't be angry at cyclists for too long. Um, yeah, again, very interesting things going on in the brain, and then uh, so we're moving past the round church. Okay, fine. Um, blah blah blah. So heading down uh, Trinity Lane now. So there's St John's, moving past Trinity, and um, uh, shortly. Oh yes, lots of posters. So lots of things you could notice there. I know. Uh, and then I, uh, yeah, I do quite often do this. So I, I, <laughs> yeah, I went into heifers. Uh, just because I have to check, you see, just to see if it's still there. Beca oh, it's quite embarrassing, really. And yeah, I was just checking to see if my book was still on display. Um, <laughs> yes, there it was, hooray, vanity. Again, all sorts of mental things going on. Uh, now I'm interesting, now some rather complex navigational tasks because my way is being blocked and I really need to get out and I, I need to get miss my hair appointment. Um, so that was a bit of complex navigational stuff going on. So there we are back onto the street. And then, yes, we're walking back down. There's not very much more now. So heading into King's Parade. Um, now I went to King's as an undergrad. So just the, the sort of site. Oh, heavens, before we got that. Yeah, more social brain stuff <laughs> going on there. I wasn't expecting to, this to happen. I mean, I knew this guy. Um, <laughs> and, um, in itself, again, an extraordinary thing. I recognize his face just by a split-second view. I know exactly who he is. And, of course, I'm secretly filming here. I can't stop and talk because uh, I'm going to have to say, you know I'm actually filming. I can't stop it. Um, but then it, it turned out that actually he was obviously on the hurry to somewhere, so he didn't stop. He, he just kind of said hi and passed on. And I thought, well, hang on. Well, <laughs> don't you want to talk to me? Um, so, yeah, that was, again, a lot of social brain things uh, going on there. Um, wonderful. So now we're heading into King's Parade. There's this my old college. Lots of little memories getting fired off when I see, and again, because I'm being a little bit more observant than usual. Um, very near the destination now, so just walking down King's Parade. Um, and then I noticed um, outside uh, St. John's Chop House, Apparently it was National Pie Week last week. <laughs> Didn't have any idea about that. Text recognition now and a bit of humor. Humor is a very poorly understood uh, mental um, process. And then uh, about to do some very, very complicated navigational things because it's getting a bit crowded now. I'm going to take a sort of significant evasive action. 
all the time having to predict where these people are going to go. So I'm reading their behavior, making a prediction, and then executing those commands. An extraordinarily complex thing to have to do. And then finally, I arrive at the barbers. I've reached my destination. Um, my prefrontal cortex is satisfied. Um, hooray. So that took 20 minutes. Actually, it did indeed take 20 minutes to explain it. Um, an extraordinary set of things going on in the brain to kind of make all that happen. Um, and I haven't even really talked about probably what the, the really critical thing is, um, which is how the brain is making my muscles work. So this is a, a rather fabulous computer model of just what happens to our various leg muscles while we're walking. Um, when it kind of lights up, so it lights up yellow or orange or pink uh, to indicate that they are um, executing contractions at that point. Very, very complicated sequence of events to bring all that about uh, in the correct fashion. And that really, I would argue, is, is kind of what the brain is all about. So a lot of the things we've been talking about, particularly like the social stuff, the facial recognition, the shame, the rage, uh, this is all quite recent in evolutionary terms. But there are lots of things that I was doing then which is a lot more primitive. And arguably the most primitive of all is knowing where I had to go and knowing how to make my muscles work in order to get there. And that really is what the brain is all about. And it's probably what it first um, evolved for. Um, so that's kind of what the, the brain is doing. So I'm going to think now about, well, how it works, essentially. Um, now, it's been known for a long time, since about the 1780s, um, that uh, nerves have some kind of electrical function, uh, that they involve electricity. This is the guy who found that out, a guy called Luigi Galvani, um, who touched a scalpel that had fortuitously been just charged with static electricity to a frog's nerve, and its leg twitched. And that kind of got him thinking about, okay, well, I've made this happen. Is there actual natural electricity uh, there as well? And it turned out that, yes, there was. Um, this is uh, Giovanni Aldini, who is a nephew of uh, Luigi uh, Galvani. And he saw these experiments. He was kind of very interested in electricity himself and thought, well, this is a fantastic chance to do a really great public demo. Um, so he did all sorts of experiments uh, to try to stimulate... Um, people's muscles using an electric current. So uh, that great sort of, uh, that, that great column thing you're looking at there, that's a very early form of a battery uh, called a Leiden jar. Um, and he's basically stimulating the muscles of these living people to see what happens to their muscles. Um, he also did it uh, with, with dead animals uh, and kind of reanimated the dead animals. He did it once with a dead human. It's a pretty ghoulish thing to do. So it was a guy called George Forster who was a murderer. He'd murdered his family. He'd just been hanged. And then on the same morning, he was shipped off to the Royal College of Surgeons so that uh, Aldini could experiment on him. Um, so he passed an electric current through him, and yet yeah, it, it, it caused his eyes to kind of flick back open, his jaw to clench. Uh, people fainted. I mean, it was <laughs> can you imagine what a shock that must be to see you know, there's someone apparently rising from the dead? Uh, that happened in 1803. Uh, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein was written in 1818 and was clearly, this, these experiments were the source of inspiration. Uh, but anyway, I thought it'd be rather fun to, um, to do a, a replay of, the, of some of these experiments. I don't have a dead body, you'll be pleased to know. So I thought I'd just electrocute myself for your amusement. Um, so this, this is a very, don't try this at home. <laughs> this is a very simple little device, it's called a TENS device, which means transcutaneous electrical nervous stimulation. Um, they're easy to pick up. Um, not that I recommend it or anything. Um, so, yeah, it's used for all sorts of various therapeutic purposes. It's got a 9-volt battery in it and just kind of passes a very little current through these two electrodes here. So this is the point. Of th there's a roving camera somewhere um, that you might want to have a nice close-up view of what happens to my face when I do this. <laughs> hope you appreciate this. Am I on? Oh, excellent. Good. Yeah, okay. So let's see what happens. Good. Okay. Let's turn the current on. Yeah, didn't you feel it now? <laughs> can you? <laughs> I can certainly feel it now. Um, hope you can all. <laughs> this is a very unnerving. It's not at all painful. It's just weird. <laughs> so yeah, all that's happening is giving these little pulses of electricity, and every time it does so, it makes the muscles in my face twitch. So it kind of been very nice. Still, I think that's as far as I'm going to go. <laughs> Weird. Um, yeah, so it really does. just a very clear demonstration of the electrical basis uh, of all this activity, um, which makes one wonder, well, where is this electricity then 
Uh, coming from, oh, sorry, that was yeah, Frankenstein's monster, of course, the, uh, which had been inspired by those experiments. Um, yeah, so uh, this is uh, a bit of tissue from a mouse's brain, um, just uh, indicating some of those nerve cells. This is a single nerve cell there. So they're quite odd-looking little cells. Most cells are just kind of round, blobby things. These are like little wires. So already we're kind of seeing some kind of um, you know, uh, analogy with, with uh, man-made electrical circuits. So where is this electricity coming from? Um, if we're saying that we don't need to have a nine-volt battery to do it, well, what's happening? Uh, for this, I'm going to do a little, I'm going to demonstrate this using you people. So first of all, I have an instruction for anyone on this side. I'm going to get this central section to stand up in a moment. Um, everyone down here, please stay where you are. Don't let yourself get shoved out into the stairs. This will all become apparent in a minute. So if, if the, this middle section would all like to be upstanding, please. Thanks. Right. Now, can you all shuffle that way, please? Shuffle that way. There you go. Shuffle, 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 shuffle. There we go. Keep going, keep going, keep going. Shuffle, shuffle, shuffle. Come on, come on. <laughs> shuffle, 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 shuffle. Uh, go on, I'm being really obnoxious now, aren't I? So shuffle, shuffle. Oh, the back row doing that. You didn't need to, but that's fine. Um, okay, I think I'll stop there. So that was obviously quite annoying. And, and sorry, sorry if I'm to do that. What I'm doing is I'm basically replicating something which happens in our cells all the time, which is certain particles are always being pumped out of the cell. And of course, I'm hoping that you, you kind of really want to come back now. So if I let you, I'm going to let you now, so you may now return to your seats. That sort of thing is happening all the time in our cells, that this pump, so it's, it's specifically what's called, it, it's a sodium pump. So these pumps are always shoveling sodium ions out, so little sodium particles out of the cell, and they're always really desperate to come back in. And these sodium particles are charged, so they all bear a positive charge. So this is kind of where the electricity comes from, that by shoving out all these positively charged things that then really want to come in, we kind of have a battery, uh, a simple living battery that as soon as you let those, uh, those sodium particles come back in, we might get a change in the electrical status of the cell. And that's, in a nutshell, how nerves work. So, if we, so that's essentially what a nerve looks like. So the, the, the positive charge bits are indicated there. So remember, the cell has been working very hard to shove all the kind of sodium out. Um, so when it moves in, well, there are lots of other positively charged things inside the cell, particularly something called potassium. That's not really important. Um, but positive charges repel any positive charges nearby. So when we get this sodium coming in, it's going to have a knock-on effect throughout the rest of the cell. Like so. Yes, there we go. Um, when the other end hits, uh, gets that positive charge, something happens. That's the stimulus for it to release these little purple things. Um, which are little packages of chemical. Uh, it's called a neurotransmitter for what it's worth. It's not really important. Um, they will then leave the cell, bind to special receptors on the, on the next cell in the line. So that's like a lock to a key, um, so, or a key to a lock. And then it will do various things. It might open a little channel in that cell, which might cause some more positively charged sodium to come in. So this might be how one nerve cell um, gets another nerve cell to work. Um, it might be how a muscle works. You've already seen how you know, charging up my muscles gets them to twitch. This might be then how the nerves are actually getting our muscles uh, to work. Notice, however, that we don't plug nerves straight into the muscles. There's always a gap there. So that it always involves this transport uh, of a chemical. That's, uh, that gap is called a synapse. And it's very interesting that our nervous system is like this. Why do we have these? I mean, it's a very, very tiny gap. But nevertheless, it is a gap. So it always has to be some kind of chemical that's released at this gap to get something happening in the next cell along. And that, A, provides a really interesting clue about how the whole nervous system got started. Um, but it also means that we can do all sorts of really nifty stuff with our nervous system. So now I'm going to require, um, uh, first of all, a couple of volunteers. So your hand up went, went up before I even kind of finished saying it. And you. So I think, yeah, there we go. So what I'm going to try and do here is basically set up a nervous circuit. So make some little nervous systems. So what's your name? Say again. Garsham. Garsham. So okay, I may not ever use that name again. Um, so if you can stand here, 
you are going to be my muscle man. So you, you, you are going to be a muscle in the human body. So the way you're going to do this, if you can kind of put your arm out for me. So go, comrade. Um, so the, the, the muscle contraction I'm going to get you to do is basically just extending your arm and then back. So that, that, that's all you need to do, okay? So you might want to practice that for a little bit. Good. Um, you, however, are going to be the nerve. So for that purpose, I'm going to use this. So if you can take one end, that's it. And you take another, you already know what you're doing. So if you say go, go. you, exactly, that's it. Um, so it, what I'd like to do is, so this is just, so just a little sort of twitch when he says go like that. So it's just like once in and then out. Yeah, so whenever you hear go, so do it. Exactly, exactly. That's just brilliant, that's brilliant. So um, now I'd like you to kind of try and say go you know, a lot of times in quick succession. So say, yeah. <laughs> Obviously, so we don't end up with anyone injuring themselves. This is going to be reflected in just, I mean, this is actually how muscles work, is your arm will stay out when you hear a long sequence of go commands like that. So we try that again. And stop. And then put it back. Exactly. So that's a very simple little motor neuron circuit we've got uh, set up there. And just to uh, give a little demonstration of what we're doing on the ground. So that's our muscle man there. There's our nerve. And we've connected them with a nerve cell. And there's a little signal going through like that. Now, I would like one other volunteer, please. Ooh, you. Do come down. Welcome. So we're going to make this a little bit more complicated now. So if you can, if I can just get you to stand over here. That's it. So you'll need to make sure that that string is nice and taut. That's it. Well, not too taut. I'll break. <laughs> so if I can give you that. I'm going to give the other end. So you can come this way a second. Come this way. That's it. And if I can hold that to you. So if you hold that to your ear. So your job, you are a sensory cell. So you are going to be noticing something happening in our muscle here. And when it does, you are going to say go to our chap there. And again, so, um, so muscle man, what I'm going to get you to do is if you have the, the position at rest, that's the same. So you need to watch this. Yep. If the arm goes like that, you are going to say go. 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 Exactly. So this, so we don't, do we try that again? So, yep. Go. Go. Or don't you preempt. You do what you're told. <laughs> <laughs> try again. Go, go. Good. Now, once again, can we try a uh, kind of a, a go, 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 go sort of thing? So, again, if it's... Uh, yes, yeah, so if, if you see that, just keep saying go until it's not like that anymore, yeah? Go. Keep, keep saying go, keep saying go. go. Yeah, uh, <laughs> you need to say go, 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 go. Right. Exactly. So I think we get this. This is all working very nicely. So what we have there is actually what's called a simple reflex arc. So um, if you've ever heard of the knee-jerk reflex, where you kind of hit that and then you, um, your, your, your leg shoots out like that, that is exactly what we've got going on here. Um, so our sensory cell here is essentially detecting any unauthorized stretch of a muscle. So when it happens, signal to the motor nerve to correct that. That's a very kind of simple thing that our nervous system can do. Um, thank you very much. You may return to your seats. A big round of applause. No, I need you to stay, but you may return. Thank you. Going to do something a little bit more complicated now. I need two more volunteers. Oh, heavens. Um, you um, and you. Thank you. Sorry to... Uh, for the yeah, so I'm going to give you to be a little bit more complicated. Just there's that's that one. So... And again, if I can give that to you. So we're just going to uh, just, just build a slightly bigger chain now. Um, so again, you can say go, 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 go. When you hear go, 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 you say go. Okay, so make sure that we, <laughs> um, let's make sure that this, uh, do you, uh, hang on, hang on, hang on. Why don't you turn around? There we go. <laughs> good, 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 good. So you're listening to that. Okay. And speaking into that. All you need to do is respond to the signal that's been uh, said over there. So if you say go. Go. Exactly. So um, can we do a chain of goes? Go, go, go. Go, 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 go. Yeah, good. Remember, if you're hearing go, 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 you're just, just straight out. Yeah, which is very important. Okay, now um, our next person here. So if you can, I can give you the purple one. 
Yeah, so, I'm, so you have exactly the same, so you need to listen to that and speak down that. And so when you say, so make sure that's a nice and that's good work, so say again. Brilliant. So we have a little, little chain of nerves that are just kind of getting that muscle to work. Now, one other volunteer, please. Um, this next bit might be a little bit complicated, so someone perhaps a little bit older. Um, uh, yes, you look like a, an intelligent sort of chap. <laughs> Not that you guys aren't, of course. Now, this is a bit complicated, so if I can give you that for a second, because follow me, follow me, follow me. Right, you need to stand next to this chap here, um, on this side, I think, we might do. And if I can give, oh, uh, <laughs> yes, I knew there'd be a problem. Can I have one more volunteer? Um, yeah, you'll do. Just need you to help hold things. I knew I'd missed something. <laughs> okay, so I can give you that. So all you need to do is hold this. <laughs> Enough, so we knew we we're going to get two instructions here. Well, actually, sorry. Yeah, get you to come forward a little bit. There we go. You go behind. So you see, I can get you to go behind. So you're just holding that to the other ear. There we go. So, <laughs> oh, is this ever going to work? So just to kind of see what's happening here. Um, so we built that little sequence of events. Now we're going to be doing this sort of thing. So what you need to do is whenever you hear this chap say, go, you need to say, stop. When you hear stop, you just stop saying things. Doesn't matter if the brain is telling you to go. If whenever you're hearing stop, you stop. So um, let's, is there any other instruction I need to give you? So you might say go. Yeah, I think that's all. So everyone else, the instructions are the same. So when you hear go, 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 you just hold your arm out. When you no longer hear that, you bring the arm back in. Yeah, just as you've been doing. Again, whenever you hear go, you just say go. Whenever you hear go from this guy, you go, you say go, unless that guy says stop. Ready? So, ready to go? Just say, go, 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 nice, good, go, go, go. Go, 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 stop. So, you don't, no one else responds to the stop apart from this chap here. So, you keep saying go no matter what, okay? Try again. Keep going. So remember, whenever you hear, just only when this guy is saying stop, do you stop. Okay. Otherwise, you say go. So try again. It's, it's, it's kind of working. Yeah, yes. So green makes sure that you're responding to the go instruction. And whenever you hear go, you, you go. Keep going. It's, 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 it's happening. It's happening. So whenever, we, whenever, you, so if, as, that's it, it's happening, it's happening. So uh, this is a very complicated thing to try to do clearly. But hopefully you see, this is the way that you're going to get repetitive movements going on when it's all working perfectly well. Thank you very much, everyone. That was a wonderful, <laughs> wonderful try. Thank you. Just, just pop them on the, on the table. That's great. Yeah, so that rather complicated little demo is demonstrating what's called a central pattern generator, which is how we execute all sorts of rhythmic movements. And it involves these nerves which tell other nerves to shut up. So it's a very, really, really important thing that our nervous system is able to do. Um, so yeah, this is how we end up with the sort of rhythmic movements of our legs and arms. It's really, really important. Also really important for that um, our reflexes are shut down if we want to kind of do anything useful. Now, if my knee-jerk reflex kept firing every time I tried to kind of bend my knees, I wouldn't be able to do anything. It's very important that if the left limb is active, then the right limb isn't. Otherwise, if I try to lift both legs up at the same time, I'd just do that, and I wouldn't be able to move anywhere. So this sort of stuff is really, really important. This, by the way, is what it might actually look like. <laughs> I hope you can see why I was less than... Um, enthusiastic about getting that to work on stage. Um, but that's, yeah, that's an actual central pattern generator, or a little, little section of one from the human spinal cord. So there we go. So that's essentially what we're aiming at. So we've kind of got the components now. We've got nerves that are kind of releasing these chemicals to get other nerves or muscles to do their bidding. Where might that have all started? Well, this is the point I'm going to turn to my 
lovely sponge here. There we go. So, um, obviously, what the brain is doing, essentially, as you can see, is to kind of take in input and then deliver some kind of muscular output. So, that's the sort of thing we're going to be looking at. So, a sponge is a very primitive sort of animal. Um, let's see. So, if I can... Um, hello? Not here. Uh, any response? No? Hello? No, no, you might obviously... I might be looking a bit mad now. I mean, for a start, that sponge is actually dead. Um, but it's a sponge. I mean, you're not going to be expecting a sponge to respond to anything like that, surely. Well, prepare to be amazed. So this is a sponge, tiny little sponge called tethia, as it happens. Um, and I'm about to show you a film that's been filmed under time lapse. So this is going to be sped up 2,500 times. Um, and yes, look at that. The sponge is actually regularly contracting like a muscle. So this is first sort of spotted way back at the beginning of the 20th century that sponges seem to be doing this. You need to be very, very patient because they only do this you know, twice every hour at the most. So it's a very, very slow contraction. But this is really weird because this is the sort of thing that would normally need nerves and muscles, both of which sponges are known to lack. So this is very exciting. It means that if we can find out what the sponge is doing, we might have some kind of idea about how the brain, how the nervous system actually uh, began. Um, we have a fairly good idea now how this is working. Uh, we've identified these rather specialized little cells in the surface of the sponge. They're called primary cilia, for what it's worth. Um, if you knock these out, um, you can do this genetically or using a chemical, uh, then the contractions stop. So they stop doing that squeeze. Um, it's also known that um, uh, if you apply a certain chemical, uh, then it can get the contraction started. So there's a chemical called glutamate, for instance, of monosodium glutamate fame, uh, that if you introduce to the sponge, it will get it squeezing. So we can deduce from that that these cells may well be producing this chemical, this glutamate chemical. I'd like another few volunteers. So, yeah, you, someone who's not been up before. Um, uh, yeah, you, you too, actually, that's fine. Um, and... Yes, up there, you, you, do come down. So I want to demonstrate what, what this sponge is actually doing and how it works. So if you'd like to kind of stand on either side of me, I'd like two on each side, please. We are your sponge for the next few minutes. So if you can go here. Hello, everybody. Um, hi, Max. Nice to meet you. Um, so, yeah, um, I am going to be your primary cilium. Doesn't sound that good, actually. Um, yeah, so I am the sensory cell that's hopefully going to get all this knocked off. You are the cells of my sponge, so I'm going to try and get you guys to contract. Now, for you, contraction just means that you crouch down. Okay, that's it. And you just, you just stay down. And so what I'm going to do, um, I don't have any glutamate, couldn't get hold of it, so I'm going to be using instead uh, wood spice uh, aftershave for gentlemen <laughs> from Marks and Spencers. Um, so this is going to be the chemical that I, as primary psyllium, is going to be releasing to try and get you to, uh, uh, to contract. I'm going to start down here because I don't want to spray your faces. So if you'd be upstanding, so stand on either side. And actually, let's make this, it's just come, come closer, come closer, come closer. That's it. Um, so uh, to try to make this a bit more accurate, I want you all to close your eyes. So when you smell the lovely, lovely aftershave, you contract. Ready? <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Thank you very much. That was beautiful. That was good. Please don't go away, don't go away, don't go away, don't go away, don't go away. Yeah. 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 <coughs> smell it now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that's basically how it's working. So the, these, the, this primary psyllium is just kind of releasing this chemical into the sponge, and then the cells respond by contracting. It couldn't be simpler. Um, but there's a, a kind of a, a, a nifty way of, of making this a little bit more uh, complicated. So if I, as a primary psyllium, as me as my sensory cell, I'm going to extend some tendrils. So if I can get you to hold that, and there, so these are the tendrils here, so there's that. And if I can get you to hold that one there. 
So the reason why I, as a cell, might want to do this is because I'm having to release quite a lot of chemical. It take, took three squirts just then to kind of get, get the, uh, the, the sponge to do its stuff. Um, that's rather wasteful. So why don't I kind of grow these extensions out so that I can release much less of a chemical? So I'm going to get you to do this again. So again, close your eyes. Let's see if this works. So I'm going to mimic the effect of releasing a chemical from my tendrils basically by squirting this stuff on my hand and, and, and then getting you to, to, to smell it at closer range. So let's see if this works. So I can do things like this. So close your eyes. Close your eyes. Remember, do what you did before. When you smell it, you contract. <laughs> and when you no longer smell it, you may be upstanding again. Excellent. And again, when you so automatically, so once you <laughs> so we can see it's a little bit more sophisticated now. Rather than the whole thing going all at once, sorry about that, we can get different bits of uh, the creature moving at different times. Thank you very much. That was wonderful. Please leave the scarves and make your way back to your seats. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Lovely. What I just demonstrated there was the origin of nerves. Um, you, know, you start off with something rather sponge-like, but as soon as you get a sensory cell that can kind of start you know, making tendrils go to specific bits, then you can get specific control of those different bits. And that's basically how something like an anemone can work. Um, this is a very special anemone called Stomphia, um, because it can actually swim just by contracting the two sides of its body um, alternately. Um, it does this to get away from starfish, which are its mortal enemy. Um, pretty extraordinary behavior, isn't it? Even people don't you normally think sea anemones can do this. Um, an extraordinary thing. Um, and that's what an anemone's nervous system looks like. Very simple, but we've now got these little tendrils going to various different bits of the muscles of this thing so that different bits can contract at different times. So in automatically, much, much more sort of behaviors are possible. Um, like this. This is another swimming anemone that's just thrashing its tentacles about. Of course, most anemones don't do anything like this complicated, um, but we do see something like this in a sort of creature with a similar level of organization, um, which is just about to be born here. So this um, is something, it's like a sort of mini anemone, I guess, and it's about to give birth to a lovely little jellyfish. It actually does look a little bit creepy the more I look at this with you. Um, yeah, a little bit face hugger, if you know what that means. <laughs> um, but there we go. So these little mini jellyfish being born. And of course, here we're seeing a much more kind of concerted effort to get to grips with the muscles uh, for the purposes uh, of movement. So here's a, a, a sort of adult jellyfish. Again, very, very simple. Doesn't need much of a nervous system. No brain. Um, it's just using its, its sort of, it contracts its umbrella to squeeze water out the back end and uh, propel itself along. This is a rather lovely experiment showing you very clearly how it squeezes its, uh, the water inside out to kind of get itself moving forwards. Yes, yeah, so that's a rather simple thing to do. Um, the absolute kind of apex of jellyfish organization is seen in these things. Does anyone know what that is? It is a box jellyfish, yeah. Oh, sorry, sorry, your hand was up. Um, I'm sure lots of you knew. Notice how maneuverable it is. It's really able to kind of turn on a dime. Um, it's, yeah, really a pretty sophisticated uh, bit of kit for a jellyfish. Um, I wouldn't want to get that close myself, but yeah, because they are extremely poisonous, um, as a lot of you know. So there it goes. So it's quite fast, quite maneuverable. They can actively kind of hunt their prey. So you may wonder how something know, simple as a jellyfish could you know, do such a complex behavior. You know, where are its sense organs? Where are its brain for doing this? Well, if you look very carefully, I need to get the laser with this one. Um, uh, that little blob there, that's called a ropalium. Ropalium. This is what it looks like in close-up. Bizarre looking thing, isn't it? Um, and that is an eye. Um, and it's a proper image-forming eye. It has a lens, it has an iris, it has a retina. It's very unexpected to find something this complicated in something so simple. Um, and it's not only the eye, it's got all sorts of little processing circuitry in there as well. So this is, it's the, the jellyfish's brain, um, except that it's got four of them. 
So it's one on each side of the box. But it's gathering, it's doing essentially what our brain is doing. It's gathering the information about its surroundings, working out what's important, what it needs to respond to, and then sending commands to the muscles, i.e. the swimming muscles uh, of the jellyfish. So it's an extraordinary uh, thing to do. And I hope to see, it kind of gives us a little bit of insight into why a brain might have evolved in the first place. I want to tell you perhaps a little bit about the ecology of this thing. So this thing lives in quite complicated near-shore environments. Um, so it has to navigate around mangrove forests and things. Uh, most jellyfish are open water. So this thing, and it, it, it sort of chases down little crustaceans and things. So it's a pretty extraordinary thing. But it might make you ask, well, okay, so it's, it's got this far. Why doesn't it then have a single brain? Why has it kind of got four of them? Now, at this point, I need you to rummage under the, um, the wooden desktops, if you would, um, because I have secreted about the uh, lecture theatre some, th yeah, so if you hold them up, if you find them, some of them are folded in half and you'll have to kind of unfold them. Um, yeah, so there are some with a blue square on them and some with a red triangle on them. Um, yeah. Okay, so there's one in the middle somewhere with three blue squares on it. There we go. So if you hold them up, if you've got them. Uh, the red ones, actually, we can leave those for now. So just, just concentrate on the blue ones. So what I'm trying to do here is basically replicate um, the box jellyfish's nervous system. Um, so the single squares, I think we've got all of them now, yeah. So the single squares are like the box jellyfish's senses. So there are its little eyes. Um, what I've got in the middle here, so if you might need to kind of turn this around a bit so everyone can see. So that's the thing with three boxes, is a kind of, I, I'm making something which doesn't really exist. So that is um, as if the box jellyfish had a single brain. And for the kind of the, the, the guys with the single box, you are the senses, you need to communicate with that single brain. How are you gonna do this? You're gonna need all sorts of rather long nerves in order to get this pointed out. I think I'm probably running out of time, so I'm not going to be able to do the demonstration in the full point. But as you can see, to have everything converging on that one brain is going to be enormously expensive. And it's just not really going to, involve, uh, to evolve. But instead, I have this, uh, if the two square guys can hold their things up. Um, so we should have four, so one in each corner. Um, th is there one up there? So you might, you might have to unfold it. So if it's folded... There we go. Yeah, so essentially, so now what we've got is these are little mini brains that are much closer to where the sensory information is coming in. And that's what we have in the box jellyfish. Now, thank you very much. You can put those back down again now. Um, so basically, we're not going to want a brain to be very, very far away from where the information is coming in. It needs, because you know, nerves are very expensive. All those pumps using up an awful lot of energy. So something like a box jellyfish, where the sensors are dotted right the way around the edge of its bell, it's never going to have a single brain. That's never going to evolve. However, um, I will have to skip on past that one. Um, so this, um, what I'm just showing here, this is, uh, these are larvae of jellyfish. So this is how jellyfish start. Um, they're little egg-shaped things that are covered in swimming hairs. So tiny, tiny, as you can see. Um, and uh, anemones end up developing from this, and maybe from th that sort of thing, a jellyfish might come about. Um, most jellyfish larvae do this. They swim around, but not all of them. So this is a thing called uh, clava. Uh, it's actually uh, something called a hydroid, which is related to jellyfish and sea anemones. That's a clava. And this is its lava. It's a clava lava. <laughs> I'd love that name. Um, and as you can see, it's doing something rather weird. It's not egg-shaped. It's been drawn out into more of a worm-like shape. Um, it's still essentially moving with those swimming hairs, but it's doing it on a surface now. It's crawling around on the ground, well, on the seabed. Um, and it's using its muscles to steer to and fro. So it's a very different way for a, a little jellyfish larva um, to, to move around. And this is its nervous system. Really complicated for something so tiny as a little... Uh, anemone-type larva. Um, and the key thing here is because it's been drawn out into a line, and because it's moving on a surface just in that one direction, most of the senses are communicating from the front. All the information is coming in from the front. So if we now hold up our, um, 
red triangles there, and you may need to sort of hold it around so everyone can see. Now all the sensory information is concentrated, is, is concentrated in the one area. So we can now put a brain right at the front end, a single thing which is then going to direct that information, so sort through this information, work out what's important, and then communicate that uh, to the muscles. So that simple little trick, instead of swimming around as a larva, crawling around as a larva, now this thing might have a single brain rather than four dotted around the entire body. Um, now this eventually turns into uh, a C-anemone type thing, so it, it doesn't really last very long in this stage. But we have every reason to believe that about 650 million years ago, this happened. And it gave rise to pretty much all the animals uh, we now know. Because, uh, first of all, giving rise to something like this, which again is a bit like a kind of just an overgrown version of a clava larva. It's a flatworm. Um, it's been drawn out into a line. It still moves using beating cilia, beating swimming hairs, and using muscles to steer. But it has a much more complicated nervous system than you'll find oops, um, in any, um, any jellyfish. Uh, so you can pretty much tell where the front end is now, I hope. So it's at that end. Uh, and there we have, in green, outlined in green, is uh, that you know, bright green patch. That is the flatworm's brain. And once we've got this, so once we've got all that information coming in from the front and lots of other little nerves communicating with each other at the front end, the sky is the limit. All sorts of more complicated processing can happen. So from something, now eventually I'm skipping through the evolutionary ladder now, um, we might end up with something like a fish. So same overall plan. It's elongate. It has a lot of se complex senses going on at the front and a single brain. That might, sort of thing might come onto land. Um, again, elongate, um, it has uh, the, the bulk of the senses coming into the front, and eventually we end up with something as sophisticated as a mammal, again with that wonderful, now very large, uh, single brain at the front, um, and eventually we end up with something like an ape. But I hope you can see the continuity here, that with the, 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 the scheme of making a brain like this was laid down in that wonderful little crawling jellyfish larva about 650 uh, million years ago. And that essentially is how the brain began. Um, just by that simple change of environment from swimming around in the sea to crawling on the surface, it laid the groundwork for giving us this extraordinary brain uh, that we now have. And that is where I will finish. So thank you very much for listening and for participating. <laughs> That's been wonderful. Thank you. And just a little plug, if I may, um, if you're interested in finding out more about this sort of thing, about how movement affects how evolution works, uh, my book, Restless Creatures, is on sale now, as you can see, in heifers, three for two. Um, so, yeah, I'd be uh, obviously very, very pleased if you felt that you want to find out a bit more. So thanks very much. Thank you. Okay, we do have time for a few questions. Um, if you have a question, can you keep your hand up because we do have roving mics and we'll, um, we also have our flying mics. So um, do just stick your hand up if you've got a question and we'll hopefully get a mic for you as quickly as possible. Am I selecting or are you? Yeah, yeah. Like um, we've got a, two hands up there, so there's a, a <laughs> question that needs to be asked there. Um, what exactly is Restless Creatures about? So it's about the evolution of movements, well, particularly locomotion, which is movement from place to place. And in it, I'm arguing that uh, the need to move um, has driven the evolution of life on Earth. It's, you know, it, it's thanks to that that most of the evolutionary history on Earth has happened. I mean, uh, what I was just talking about there was just one example. So um, switching from swimming around to crawling uh, unleashed the, the evolution of the brain. So it, it, it's about that sort of thing, about how movement has brought about evolution on Earth. Thank you. Oh, <laughs> thanks very much. Okay, we got one over there. Who's the cousin of the jellyfish? Who's the cousin of the jellyfish? Um, so jellyfish belong, I mean, I've been a bit naughty. I've been kind of using jellyfish in a rather slapdash way, but they belong to a group called the Cnidaria, uh, which begins with a C, <laughs> Cnidaria. Um, so that includes both jellyfish and the hydroids, like I just showed you there. So the hydroids and jellyfish are close relatives, and also the sea anemones and corals. Um, so no, these 
I guess things like corals would be the, the cousins of the, of the jellyfish. Yeah. Um, we have one here. One oh, is there, is off, it, we got one ready, so keep going. What happens to the brain when you go to sleep? Oh, that's a great question. What happens to the brain when you go to sleep? So obviously a lot of things uh, change. Um, the activity of the brain changes enormously. Uh, the most important thing is that, of course, we no longer, uh, uh, we're no longer conscious of our surroundings. You know, we, we lose our awareness, so that all kind of gets shut down. But uh, the rest of the brain keeps active. We still need to kind of keep our heart going. Uh, and, of course, we do still have in sometimes that semi-consciousness in our dreams. Um, and there's all sorts of interesting theories about what dreams uh, are all about and what they do. It seems that in some way they're helping to consolidate, you know, it's helping to kind of practice what we've learned over the course of the day uh, while we're asleep. Um, there's an interesting theory that if, that if you can kind of see whether an animal is dreaming or not, then it kind of means it must be conscious. So it's, it's, um, we might have an idea there about which other animals actually are like us, um, are, do have a kind of awareness of their surroundings. Yeah, great question. Um, yes. Why does the sponge contract? That's a great question. Um, we think it's to help to kind of unclog itself if it gets um, no, too silted up. So if, if, it gets, if a lot of sediment falls on it, then it seems that will stimulate the contractions to start. So it's like a, it, it's often, I would describe it as a, as a very slow motion sneeze. Um, so it just, it's just helping to kind of clear its pores so it can keep, because it needs these pores to work. That's how it's feeding. It's drawing bacteria in through its body. So if that cord gets clogged up, then it'll starve. So that seems to be what, what it's doing it for. Yeah. Um, one at the back somewhere? Hi. Um, I hear, I, I saw that the box jellyfish has four sort of brains. Yeah. And I think I heard on QI that we have a primitive brain in the gut, but I wasn't sure if that's true or not. I, is it true? It is, well, it's sort of true. We do have a nervous system associated with the gut. Um, and yeah, this is a real sort of hot topic of research, actually, because um, it was always thought that it helps to run the movements of our gut, so it's partly responsible for the grumbling stomach, for instance, is this sort of gut nervous system. Um, but there's increasing increasingly evidence that um, it does actually influence our main brain. So it, it's not just a completely isolated thing, uh, that it can affect our mood, that there, is, that there are things that are happening between the brain and the gut nervous system, which we, at the moment, don't understand. So it's a, it's a real sort of hot topic of research, yeah. So we'll do two last ones, but are you willing to stay around after? Yeah, of course, of course. So there's yeah. one down here. Okay. Yeah, my muscle man. Once when I was going onto the beach, I walked next to, next to a jellyfish with an increasingly long stinger. Mm -hmm. I, I walked around the stinger, and then it and then it somehow just whipped up quickly. Ah. Is that any way connected with its, with its brain for now? No, not really. So was that a Portuguese man of war? You, was it? No, probably, yeah. You'd know if it was. It's yeah, an Australian <laughs> one called a blue bottle. Oh, blue, uh, so the blue bottle is like a mini Portuguese man of war. They are doubly interesting because that's not actually a jellyfish, the Portuguese man of war, or the blue bottle. Um, it's not even a single creature at all. It's a colony. Um, so they make this float between them. Um, and then you have a whole load of little anemone-like things that are hanging from it. All, so, all, all the different individuals are specialized for different things. It's uh, in a group called the siphonophores, which are one of my absolute favorites, because um, uh, a lot of them are, are active swimmers, and they, it's amazing how a colony can coordinate its motion that much. But yeah, the stinging stuff, that's not under nervous control. So the, the, this is the, the kind of the, the, the jellyfish and the anemones, their great sort of secret weapon is that they are little cellular harpoons um, which are automatic. So if something brushes up against them, um, it's like a, 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 I guess a bit like a, a, a plastic glove that's been, that where the finger's been turned inside out. So it will very rapidly turn itself the right way around again. And that's then used as a harpoon and will sort of steer you and introduce poison. Um, but they, they will stay active even after the jellyfish itself is dead. So you just tread on one and, I mean, obviously eventually it will decay, but yeah, they, they can still stay active, yeah. So that doesn't involve its nervous system. Anything that blunders into one of those things gets stung. Back in here. And um, last one. It seems that yeah. octopus, uh, squid, general cephalopods are very intelligent creatures that have started from things that are very, very primitive. Um, di firstly, di do we share a common evolution of the brain? Mm -hmm. um, secondly, are there a lot of interesting sort of parallel evolution 
That, and can you sort of say which features have evolved with parallel resolution, which features yeah. are common? Yeah, this yeah. is a really, again, fantastic question. Very difficult one to answer, and there's a lot of disagreement at the moment. Um, if you go back a few, uh, probably a decade or so, or maybe a little bit longer, um, the prevailing opinion is that um, a kind of central nervous system, like the brain and the spinal cord, evolved independently uh, many, many times. Um, but now there's a theory that it might have happened just the once. So that might mean, in a sense, that the octopus brain is a little bit like ours, but it would have started up in a much, much kind of more basic state in something like uh, a snail. Um, so that's the sort of thing that uh, an octopus or squid might have come from. So a lot of what we see in them, because they are extremely intelligent, um, um, I mean, they can uh, do all sorts of very clever things, you know, work out mazes and things, that sort of thing, um, that that happened independently. Um, and I would, would be surprised if they weren't conscious. So that's something else that might have happened independently, is the evolution of consciousness in these two very different groups. But yeah, they're, they're really uh, quite extraordinary, the, the, the squid and the octopus. I mean, they're often, for kind of legal reasons, treated as honorary vertebrates because they are, um, they are so intelligent. Thank you. Excellent. Thank you very much. Another round of applause, everyone. Thanks. <laughs>